Well, welcome everyone to Dallas Cowboys Training Camp Live. I'm Brad Sham, back from Canton, Ohio, in Oxnard, California, and uh, that's Brian Broadus, and he is still at the mothership getting ready for our first broadcast, Brian's and mine, on Friday night uh, in Phoenix of preseason game number two for the Cowboys. And we're looking forward to that because we really always have a good time uh, really zeroing in on what the young players are going to be doing. And uh, I, I think, Brian, I don't know if you're getting the same thing I am from uh, Mike McCarthy, but it sounds to me like what he has in mind in terms of using his players this week uh, is pretty similar to what he did in Canton. And it sounds like just the Houston game on the 21st will be the one where the regulars will play any significant amount of time. Does it sound that way to you? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right about that, Brad. I, You know, I, I, I didn't know. I think we both really didn't know how they were going to pull off the Hall of Fame game and then the practice against the Rams. But I'll tell you what, if you watched both of them, you did see the young players play in that Hall of Fame game. And then the veteran players getting the opportunity, the ones versus the ones versus the Rams. So uh, tip of the cap to the coaches for getting that done, getting through a difficult time there, and being able to evaluate their team. But, yeah, to your point, uh, I believe we're going to see a lot of young players Friday night in Arizona. And then when we get back and uh, the team returns to the star, that game against the Houston will be the dress rehearsal game, and then you'll see a lot more of the veteran players getting that opportunity. Of course, you're always worried about um, injuries in preseason and in training camp, and I guess uh, uh, I'm, I'm amused by the way the Internet invites clickbait. I saw a headline this morning while I was scrolling through uh, Cowboys starter could miss significant time. And I thought, what did I miss? And they were talking about Sewu Olonalua, who's got a shoulder injury. And whether you would right. call him a starter might be being a little generous because he's actually trying to make the team. Um, but um, I haven't heard anything more today since the players were mostly off in Oxnard. They did a heavy lift and they've got a, a walkthrough tomorrow. That from what I could gather, some ankle injuries or something like that uh, to Neville Gallimore and Terrell Basham, the two defensive linemen, were the biggest casualties of the practice Saturday against the Rams. Are you aware of anything uh, more no, on nothing, those or more than those? No, nothing, uh, nothing any more than that. Um, I will say, though, a bit of positive news that I did hear from the practice this morning, well, not a practice, but from the field in talking to some people with Dak Prescott was out throwing today and getting some work uh, with the training staff and some receivers and things like that. So um, I had a feeling that something like this was probably in the works, uh, reached out to a couple different people. I said, hey, hearing positive things about Dak throwing the ball today 
and they were saying, yeah, it worked out well. So uh, we might be closer to uh, Dak Prescott coming back. Uh, it's to get through that game with just a couple of, uh, of injuries there. Again, to defensive linemen, uh, you know, that's something that you don't want injuries for anybody, but uh, the ankles are stuff that uh, uh, hopefully that they can get back from in a couple of weeks, depending on severity. But, again, I think the best news out of what I heard today was that Dak Prescott was on the field uh, working with some guys, and uh, he'll continue to do that uh, as we go along here. Well, of course, um, nature abhors a vacuum, and uh, the absence of regular briefings and practices and guys on the field amounts to a vacuum. So right. since we haven't seen anything else, and everyone was only going to talk about Dak until we heard uh, things like what, what you are hearing that uh, he's beginning to throw, but I don't think he was going to play against Phoenix no. uh, against no. Arizona. Anyway, right. and, and I guess he might play a little against Houston, I guess, if his, if the progress, uh, when we get ahead of ourselves, but, I mean, right. if he continues to progress, but I, I still think that the, um, and I'm, so, I'm, I'm actually leading you to something uh, of your study of the tape from Saturday, um, right. and, and that is what we talked about last week about Garrett Gilbert, particularly, right. he's he's done nothing that I can see that would discourage you from thinking he's the second quarterback. I, I and I know we talked about it Friday. I, I I really thought he threw the ball pretty well, uh, and and not just threw it, but made most of his most most of his decisions well on uh, Thursday night against the Steelers. And so, what did you see from him against the Rams? Yeah, Brad, I, you know, I think that there were some things that we talked about on Friday with our last show of when you got down in the red zone, the decision-making, and I mean quickly making decisions. And when you watched the Rams scrimmage yesterday, looked more decisive throwing the football, looked more confident throwing the football, had some really one of the best passes I felt like that he threw. Well, actually, there was a couple of them, but – the one I want to point to is the fade he threw to Michael Gallup, where he was able to put the ball in a position where Gallup was able to go up. You know, the Ram uh, corner lost track by peeking back to Gilbert, but give Gilbert a lot of credit for where he put the ball to allow Gallup to go vertically, have that separation, and then come down with it. Make it a heck of a throw on an in-cut uh, to Noah Brown that I thought was outstanding. A good blitz pickup inside. Uh, they, they're going to blitz the safety. Uh, Tyler Biotish, Martin, hold up up front, clean pocket. you know. And now you've got the in-cut that was accurate to Brown on the move. You know, Those are the types of things these coaches are looking for. How do you handle the reps you've got? And then when we put you in those situations – can you make things happen? And I thought yesterday that Gilbert did a really nice job of making all that work for him. All right, well, let's stay on that side of the ball. And you, you have done a, a lot of uh, studying, I know, of that tape from Saturday on the, on the offense. And, and the one thing about a competitive practice, if you can keep right. players from, from getting a little, what shall we say, overly boisterous, which I guess they did get once or twice, 
but you do you do get some fresh work usually at a pretty good pace against uh, people you don't see every day who are not interested in you looking good and so that can be very useful so what did you see that you liked and that you didn't like from the Dallas offense against the Rams on Saturday yeah I thought that I thought the Cowboy offense did a really nice job of taking the fight to the Rams especially up front you know there was limited reps with Martin and Smith and those guys but some of the better runs that Ezekiel Elliott had and even a little bit with, with Pollard, was that the Cowboys' offensive line was able to get push. And the Rams are not a bad group up front, you know, when you have to deal with Aaron Donald and Floyd and guys like that. So for them to be able to get some movement, to be able to create uh, protection where they could get the ball out and off, I, I thought that was all very, very positive. Uh, again, uh, there was a couple times where – Ezekiel got the ball inside, going up. Tyron Smith just slams the end up the field. There's a gap there now. You got Connor Williams blocking down. So now it's about can and, and you get one more block. Excuse me from Michael Gallup on the linebacker inside. So now you've got hats on hats on hats and Ezekiel Elliott through the gap and up the field. So. You know, the Cowboys didn't run the ball with any effectiveness last year. But to see guys like Tyron Smith, Connor Williams, Tyler Biotish, the receivers getting blocks, those are positive things. The protection, positive things. So that was something that, that just caught my eye when you were watching the way that the, the scrimmage was going on. Two, two uh, things that you mentioned there that I'd like you to elaborate on uh, a little bit. And one is um, when you were talking about the offensive linemen. Now, one of the things that happens in these joint practices is people want to call it a scrimmage. It's not really a scrimmage or it's not just a right. scrimmage, even if they have 11, uh, 11 on 11 work against each other. Right. Because there are some standard drills. And, they, and, and I saw some pass rush drill. And, and frankly, you mentioned Floyd, uh, who right. is the Rams' really good uh, defensive end and pass rusher. And, and frankly, I was really encouraged to see what I saw of the way Lyle Collins battled him because LC is still, from what we've seen in camp, he's still coming off that hip injury that cost him all of last year, uh, looking for a comfort zone in his stance and in the way he... Right. brings the fight to the defensive line. But when I saw that, it was just a drill, so you don't want to get overly yeah. excited. But d did you did you see the same thing I saw, that he, he yeah. looked pretty good there? I'll tell you what, Brad, You've uh, all these years of me working with you and you working with me, <laughs> we've gotten pretty good at looking. You're exactly right. And I think the thing, there were a couple of reps that Lyle Collins had against Floyd where you felt like that, oh, I see what's going on here. There is some flexibility in the hip. There is some flexibility in the knee. When there was a, a time when Floyd tried to take Collins all the way up the field, and Collins really set wide enough to keep him outside and really slam the door on Floyd. And Floyd's thinking like, oh, no, I've gone too deep. I've got to come back. Well, then you know that Lyle Collins is in good shape physically, when he's able to plant his right foot and then adjust back to the inside 
and now you've taken away that ability to get. Now, you've made him make two moves. If the ball isn't out by those two moves, then we've got more problems than we need to know about. But, yeah, it was a great job by Collins. He came back again in the second rep. Floyd tried to take him, again, straight up the field and tried to attack that right shoulder. And Collins stood his ground, got out wide enough, was able to punch him, hold him in spot. And once you stop a rusher's momentum, you've usually got them beat. And he was able to do that. Got wide, punch, stopped Floyd. Floyd tried to come through him again, couldn't get there. So back-to-back reps of really solid, healthy technique uh, from Lyle Collins. And and I don't want to get overly technical. Well, actually, I don't mind getting overly technical, but it's it's a problem. Probably not great, great for the audience all the time. But uh, the, one of the things that you said there really strikes me, and that is that when you're in a game, right. whether it's the pass rusher or the blocker, you cannot be thinking about I'm going to do this. Oh, he's doing that. I let me see. I remember. I will do that. You have to do it. You have to react. You right. don't have time to think. So what I hear you saying is that Collins is showing now the ability to not have to stop and think about uh, the the counter move, the shift of weight, all of those things. He's because he's in a reactive position as a pass blocker. Uh, but the fact that he's not having to think about those things against a pretty good player, that I, to me, I consider that a really positive step. Oh, absolutely. And, and we saw some in the early practices with Lyle Collins. I didn't feel like that he looked as comfortable, you know, in the first two or three practices. Not really sure, like, okay, I've lost this weight. I'm in good condition okay, now I've got to make it all come back again. And right. for him, he looked like you know, this Lyle Collins that we've seen over the years that has the ability to shut down the better left ends in this league. Well, one other guy that you mentioned that I want to talk about, then we'll talk about the uh, defense, uh, and, and that's Ezekiel Elliott, who um, right. people like to talk about being uh, – not worth the money, over the hill, all of the things that fans and websites like to talk about. You know, to me, uh, even though I I have asked him this in a press conference and he had, he, he denied it, but frankly, I think he's downplaying it. I mean, we all forget that he started last year before any of the off-season work, the virtual work. He had COVID, and right. we're still not in a position medically or societally to really understand the lingering effects of having that virus. So to me, when, when what the big thing we saw from him last year was the absence of burst, the, the, uh, the inability to make a big run, something that might once upon a time have been a 20 yard run was, was a six yard run. Um, I, I remain unconvinced that COVID didn't have something to do with his conditioning last year. And I haven't seen anything, Brian, that says to me that he's not going to be a top player again. Yeah, Brad, I think with Zeke, and you know what we do know about COVID, it could affect breathing. It could affect how you, you know, how are you, is your wind good? Is your, are you able to, 
you know, play and sustain, you know, and athletes are conditioned to go play, to play, to play. And so, yeah, Zeke won't say that, but I think a lot of it too was, and if you look at what Ezekiel Elliott has done this year and in the leading up to training camp, he knew that he had to get to and through the hole quicker. That was something, whether it's the footwork, his balance, those are the types of things that you could see. You know, we all follow social media. We see the clips of him running. And then we see it at OTAs. We see it in training camp. We see it yesterday in a practice versus the Rams. You know, these are the types of things that Ezekiel Elliott is trying to get back to doing. Getting to the hole, getting through the hole, making somebody miss, and then being able to extend a run. And so far, so good for Ezekiel Elliott. Yeah, he, uh, we're all very critical of him because of how much money we make and or how much money he makes. And so, yeah. Well, by the way, but, by the way, it's, I think that's, I know that that was a, a misstatement, but I really think that's a big part of it. People see how much yeah. money he makes and how much money yeah. they don't make. Well, I'm, yeah. I'm, if I was making that money, I would do thus yeah. and so. I just think that's flawed yeah. thinking. Well, no, that's, and, but that's the thing is, and that's, we're saying, well, do we, it's like trying to judge Tank Lawrence. If you watch Tank Lawrence play, it's a complete defensive end. He plays the run. He plays the pass. He does what you want to do. But the fact that he doesn't have 15 sacks a year makes us say, well, he makes this and it's not right. So, But it's not his fault that they, they chose to pay him that amount of money. But to get back to Elliott, I think Elliott knew the weakness of his game. Again, the COVID stuff, huge possibility. But he knew that he had to get his feet quicker. He had to be able to make people miss. But I'll tell you the biggest thing that's helped Ezekiel Elliott is the fact that Lyle Collins, Zach Martin, Tyler Biotish. Oh, by the way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And all those guys. And it's, it's like any great back will tell you, you have your offensive line and you're not getting hit on your side of the line of scrimmage or at the line of scrimmage. You have a much better chance of having some success. Yeah, I wish people could see the tape, know how to look at it when you see a running play that goes bad and you're looking for the five interior linemen, which guy failed. And you know what? It might be the second tight end who's three spots removed from where the hole appeared to be who completely whiffed on the guy who crossed his face and got into the backfield. Doesn't have anything to do with the five guys in front. And, and And then you're looking at different blocking schemes last year to make up for the absence of all of those guys. It's just not as quite as simple as it looks all the time. Yes, sir. So, defense. Uh, what did you see from the Dallas defense against the Los Angeles Rams? Yeah, I'll tell you what. Uh, Maurice Kennedy continues to show that he deserves to be on this roster. And today on our show on 105.3 The Fan, Jeff Cavanaugh, who I host with, uh, he was asking, is there a thought that maybe Maurice Kennedy should start as the slot corner? You know, and you just, these are discussions that you have, and you're thinking about Jordan Lewis, and Jordan Lewis had a nice day yesterday as well. Uh, We had Todd Archer on, who covers the team for ESPN. Archer saying, hey, this is the best practice that I've ever seen Jordan Lewis have. And I'm thinking, okay, great, because I am a Jordan Lewis fan. But when you start to talk about guys like Maurice Kennedy, his interception 
you know, in uh, in that game yesterday was just a, once again an example of him being around the football, being aware, being understanding. You know, Matt Stafford is, you know, flow goes away. Stafford boots his direction. Candidate is keeping with, keeping Stafford inside. And Stafford's like, okay, I see you there, but I'm going to throw the ball back inside. Well, again, what do you get from Candidate? You get reaction. You get him sinking back, and then he's able to make an extending interception. And you're like, oh. And I'm sure when Matt Stafford let go of that football, he did not think that Maurice Candidate was going to be in position to make that play. So, once again, I think he's had four interceptions that I know of. Uh, you know, there's no questions about him making the roster now. It's like, okay, does he is he do you play him in the nickel? Do you play him in the dime? Do you figure out spots for guys that the ball gravitates towards and are going to make plays and finish? So these are all things again. I thought he did a really nice job. I thought Leighton Vanderesh uh, was in a situation yesterday where they tried to run the jet sweep. He was playing the right inside linebacker. The 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 flow goes away from him to the left. The sweep comes back to the jet sweeper. Jackson comes back his direction. He not only avoids Tyler Higby's block on the outside, you know, he avoids Andrew Whitworth's block on the inside. So here he is. It's like he's a slalom skier around mm. the poles to get to his guys. Quick reaction, downhill player, avoiding blocks, getting there. Keanu Neal. Another opportunity, playing him at this Will linebacker. Keanu Neal, he's going to carry his man to the flat. Ball gets there at the same time. What does he do? Leads with the right shoulder, not the head. Leads with the shoulder, knocks the ball out. Big hit, big thump. Defense loves it. Everybody oohing and on right there. You know, that's the kind of stuff that this team, this team needs. They need guys that are going to jar the ball loose, make plays, when it looks like they're going to get blocked, and then also uh, cover when they need to cover on the outside. And you get those types of guys, those, you know, three guys, you know, two of the three guys really are new to the scheme because of candidate was out because of the COVID stuff. You know, that's what you got to do. You got to find guys that could go out there and make plays. Now, uh, talk a little more about the candidate because, as you said, uh, they signed him last year and he opted out. Mm-hmm. And I think there was a, uh, I think there was a, a newborn uh, in the family. Right. And he was being overly cautious. A lot of people were. Uh, but what was the book on him before they signed him? I mean, this was not a guy that you heard a lot about. Yeah. And it, you're, you're of course, a hundred percent right. His, from day one in Oxnard, yeah. his play has completely surpassed what anyone's expectations would have been. Yeah, you watched the tape, Brad, of him playing for the Ravens. You could actually pull up a game against the Cincinnati Bengals where he made three starts in 2019 uh, for the Ravens. And I think the Ravens have got one of those teams that has a really good defense. You know, they've got players. Uh, Ozzie Newsom, that crew, does a great job at Baltimore with their roster. So the fact that he's on the field, you could pull a game where, again, okay, the Steelers, he had like he had five, six tackles. The next week against the Bengals. He had 10 tackles. You know, there's games where you can watch him play 
where he has five to seven tackles in the game and is not even the starter for the Ravens. You know, and then, you know, he gets out and the Cowboys sign him. Obviously, uh, the pro guys of the Cowboys are watching that tape. Uh, you know, Alex Loomis and those guys, Henry Shroka, those guys watching that tape and they're saying, hey, this guy's a pretty good player. We need to get him on. And unfortunately, he because of the COVID situation, he didn't do that. But you, you saw a guy that was a playmaker for the Ravens. The numbers, the statistics, those types of things will tell you that this guy was not just a guy that was the 53rd player that was on the four. It was the one of the 48 because beyond special teams and stuff, this guy went out there and played legitimate snaps for the Ravens, and he's trying to play legitimate snaps for your Dallas Cowboys now. And, and you know what's interesting is that, uh, uh, as you said, the observation was about Lewis having had a really good practice. And look, his numbers yeah. uh, may not wow anybody, but if we, if you watch the games, uh, we know that Lewis yeah. was one of the few defensive backs who was always around the ball. He's not a perfect yes, player, sir. but he yes, was sir. one of the few defensive backs they had who was always around the ball. And he's been slowed by this uh, injury that he's had in camp. Here's my question for you. How do they find a way to involve both of them? Yeah, that's now the, the, the discussion will be, like I said, is it going to be dime package stuff with six defensive backs? Is it going to be nickel stuff? Do you, do you find a way to say, okay, Lewis can specialize? And we saw him covering uh, – Kamara in that Saints game that we remember the the 10 plays that he had where the ball went to Kamara and he was in coverage and he saved the game had an interception I mean he's capable of making those types of plays you know you just need to see more consistency from him doing it Canada is kind of now this I guarantee you Brad if we were doing this uh this podcast here before training camp and said, okay, give me your 53 before practice even started, we wouldn't have Maurice Canada on this football team, I don't believe. I, well, what, I, I know what, I'm speaking for – yeah. So, no, but no, you I have to – yeah, yeah. No, go ahead. I think, I think that, it's, that this is where it's up to Dan Quinn and the staff to say, okay, when we put Canada in those situations where he's covering in the slot, he seems to show up. When we do stuff with Lewis, he seems to show up. You have to figure out, okay, is playing Lewis inside like that linebacker position, what we've seen with Keon O'Neal, where he's around the ball better than what Canada would be, where Canada looks like he would be more of a, a slot player that you can you can have. So I think this is up with the staff. It's it's kind of like the staff, like yesterday they had a situation with Jalen Smith. And again, in practice, you could do these things. Jalen Smith is trying to pick up Robert Woods on a drag behind him, but he takes a step forward and, and Woods gets behind him, and then that was a separation. So now you're thinking, and then Jalen's trying to chase. So in a practice setting, you're going, we're watching the tape, and you're going, wow, maybe we don't want to ask Jalen Smith not to have to pick up a crosser that's coming behind him. You know, these are the types of things you learn when you practice and you're saying, okay, his strength is this. Let's play to his strength instead of asking him to do something that might put him in a bad spot. What do you know of Canada as an outside player? 
Well, that's the thing that the thing to me that when you watched him play, he looks comfortable doing that. And and you know, to be honest with you, being an outside player is a lot easier than being an inside player because usually on the outside you get the combinations of routes. You can get a slant, you can get a curl, you can get an in, you can get an out, you know, you can get a, a corner route. You know, you get routes that you can kind of use the sideline as a defender maybe to help you. In the slot, you've got to cover the whole field. You get all those routes I mentioned plus some more. And then they run you through trash and all that stuff, you know, with picks and things. So the fact that he that he could cover well in the slot gives me hope that when all these other routes that I talked about and I've seen him cover, that, hey, not only is he good inside, but he can carry that onto the outside. But I love his ability to find the ball and be around the ball, and I think that's what makes him a really good slot player. And let's see if it translates a little bit more to the outside. Well, and the reason I ask that question is that if they are two of your – sooner or later, if they both are practicing and playing well, you then have right. to change – do you not have to change the question and, and make it not be about between Canada and Lewis, but – between maybe Canada and Anthony Brown or or Joseph, yeah, that's, who's the better yeah, one that, out there? Yeah. Because Lewis, yeah, that's, you know what Lewis is. Canada's three inches taller than Lewis. We don't right. really want to see Lewis playing outside. But if Canada right. can play outside, you got both of them on the field. If Canada's better than those other two guys, yeah, I, I think that that's that's the again the, the 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 progression that we get during training camp is like we don't know the player. The pro guys and stuff know the player. You and I don't know the player. We learn about the player. We see the player. Well, wait, he's done this. Oh, wait, he's done this. Oh, wait, let's try him on the outside here and see what he can do. So, yeah, it, instead of instead of trying to make the team, it's like, how do I get this guy on the field? Right. That's now the that's the discussion you now have. Well, um, I am going to uh, soak up as much of these. Uh, uh, 68 uh, degree temperatures as I possibly can uh, between now and Friday, uh, Thursday, when when we will uh, go to Phoenix and I will meet you there, uh, and then we'll all we'll all have the heat and that'll be what that is. And we we are going to uh, we're going to look at our schedules and find a way to do this for you on Friday since the Cowboys and the Cardinals preseason game is at. Nine o'clock Central Time. Eight. I'm looking at my chart. Do I have it right? Nine o'clock yes, Dallas time and eight o'clock Mountain Time. So uh, we're going to figure out a way to do this for you guys on Friday. And uh, uh, until then, a couple of more practices in Oxnard, and then the Cowboys are uh, breaking camp and heading to the desert to play the Cardinals. For Brian Broadus, I'm Brad Sham, and this is Training Camp Live, the Dallas Cowboys.